as you go. Follow the Master Disciple Maker. Lessons from the Gospel of Matthew. All right, let's see how we're doing. Uh, last week was a tough one. Uh, reminded me some tests I took in college of where I walked out thinking, I don't think I did very good. And so you may have felt that way last week. I've tried to ease up, and after you, I get through this morning, you'll probably go, you didn't ease up at all, okay? And so uh, let, let's see how well you do today. Question number one, in what chapters do you find the Sermon on the Mount? And let me help you out, there's three of them. So what chapters do you find the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, on the Mount? And, and the answer is chapters 5, 6, and seven, the greatest sermon ever preached. And boy, if you just kind of know where that is in Matthew, only found in Matthew's gospel. And so if you know where it is, it really helps you in understanding and directing people to the teachings of Jesus. Number two, right on the heels of that, in what chapters do you find a series of Jesus' miracles? If you go to the end of chapter four, Matthew says, here's everything Jesus taught, and here's the miracles he performed. And so what chapters, I'll give you a hint, there's two of them, and they are chapters 8 and 9. So 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. 8 and 9, the miracles of Jesus. Number 3, in what chapter do you find a list of the 12 apostles? Where did Jesus teach his disciples? I called them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And, and I hope you remember that one since it was last week, Blake. Come on, last week. Chapter 10 is the apostles. Where does Jesus send the apostles on the limited commission? After calling them, chapter 10, last week. And then today's question, uh, last question is based on today's lesson. And that is, in what chapter does John the Baptist begin preaching? And that's early in our session. That goes all the way back to chapter 3. Again, I hope you're working on these just a little uh, if not, I hope you're learning something in here as we go over them. Uh, I used to love to have uh, children's church down front before services uh, uh, where we would teach the books of the Bible and we would teach the Apostle Song and we would teach about the three patriarchs. And I always knew that the parents who brought their kids listening in the back, they were learning as much as we were learning up front. And so hopefully our time together is helping a little bit with that. All right, we're in Matthew 11 today. Matthew 11 begins with simply the summary statement that they did go out and preach. Uh, the apostles went out, Jesus went out, uh, and they began to preach throughout Galilee, just as the limited commission had been planned to do. And then in verse 2, we move in a very different direction. Matthew 11 is a a chapter filled with melancholy, a chapter filled with anxiety, a chapter filled with questions. And it's filled with questions that John the Baptist was asking way back then, but also questions that we ask today. And let me tell you, working through this text was difficult for me because it was so emotional. It raised so many questions that you have raised and you just perhaps have not thought about where do you go in the Bible to really see where Jesus dealt with these. And so in verse 2, when John, who's in prison, heard about the deeds of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for 
another. Now, I can't help but wonder what Jesus thought when he heard this. I mean, John had baptized Jesus back in chapter 3, end of chapter 3. I mean, John had identified Jesus, as we'll see here in a moment. And all at once, here's John sending disciples to Jesus, saying, are you the Messiah or not? Or do we need to look for somebody else? Now, if you go back to John, John the Baptist admits that when he first met Jesus, he had no clue who he was. Now, that's strange. Notice here in John 1, here in the red, I myself did not know him. Now, I think it's interesting that he said, I myself, because his mom and dad did. You turn to the opening chapters of Luke, and Mary, when she finds out she's expecting Jesus, she heads down to Judea and spends six months with John's parents. But evidently, after the birth of John and after the birth of Jesus, they never got together again until Jesus was baptized by John. And so he says, I, I did, myself, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remains, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John said, I saw him. I saw the dove descend. I heard the voice. I recognized who the Messiah was, Jesus of Nazareth. But you see, something had happened. You turn over to Luke 3. And by the way, Luke says more about John the Baptist than anybody. I mean, Luke tells us about his birth, about his parents. He tells us about, you know, what happened to him. But anyway, here in Luke chapter 3, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, this is John the Baptist, but Herod the Tetrarch. Now, need to go back and remind yourself that in the Bible, people's name, at least some of them, the wealthier, more aristocratic people, their name was actually their last name. You know, here, here in, in the West, our family name is our last name. My, my family name is Chapman. And so, you know, someone says Chapman, especially down in Ripley, Mississippi, you'll have a bunch of people going, what? You know, there's a bunch, I've got a lot of kin folks down there. Uh, but Chapman is the family name. And then, of course, our first names is our individual name. Not so for the elite in the ancient world. The Herod family, Herod is their family name. And so you had Herod the Great who tried to kill Jesus. Then Herod the Great had several sons. He had a son named Archelaus. He had a son named Antipas, who is this particular one here, called Herod the Tetrarch. He had one named Philip. I mean, he had several sons with identifying names, personal names. And notice what it says. But Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, who is king over all of Galilee, who had been reproved by John for Herodias, his brother's wife. You see, you had a real seedy story that took place with Herod Antipas. Herod had gone down to see his brother Philip. Thought, I'll go visit with my brother. Went down to see Philip. And while he was there, Philip's wife, Herodias, named after the family as well, caught his eye. And Antipas liked what he saw. And he did the unthinkable. He stole his brother's wife. Now, I want you all to think about that. What will that do to a family? 
Well, as soon as John the Baptist heard that, he's like, absolutely not. You're not going to be the king of Galilee and do something that horrible. You're a Jew, for heaven's sakes. And John went after him. John began to denounce him. By the way, do you know what happens to you when you denounce Vladimir Putin in Russia? Do you know what happens to you? You know, either you disappear or you end up in prison. Do you know what happens when you, when you criticize in China, you know, the, the leader of China? Do you know what happens? Again, you just kind of, you're gone. North Korea, we know what happens. You get shot. I mean, dictators don't like criticism. Antipas didn't like criticism. And throw, so he threw John the Baptist in prison. Now, this, this created an incredible problem for John. Because John knew the Scriptures as good as anybody did. Notice here, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? What would cause John, after having baptized Jesus, to then doubt the very side of the Holy Spirit descending on him. It was Scripture. Lesson number one, we all struggle to, uh, to understand Jesus and his mission in its fullness. I mean, John's in prison. He's been preaching the kingdom of God is coming. He's identified the Messiah. But now he's in prison going, if, if Jesus is the Messiah and the kingdom of God is here, why am I in prison? Now, we all get Jesus' mission wrong in some ways. It's just part of growing up and learning Scripture and learning what Jesus and God is doing in the world. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've constantly readjusted over the years that I've studied. You know, what is the kingdom of God? And what is God trying to do? And what is he trying to accomplish in the world? You turn over to Matthew 16. Peter's got the exact same problem. He tells everybody... Hey, Jesus is the Messiah. And then when Jesus says, I've got to go, suffer, die, be buried, and raised the third day, he rebukes Jesus and says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And then, and then when Jesus calls him Satan and tells him to get behind him, he says, you're not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of men. Peter, you don't get it. Pretty sure God has said that to me many, many times. Less, you don't get it. Which is why we've always got to be open to trying to learn more about what in the world is Jesus doing in the world. For John, Jesus' answer to these disciples were, was to go back. Go back and tell John that, I mean, the blind they see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, dead people are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. By the way, John would have known that text. That comes from Isaiah 35 about the coming Messiah. But that's not what's bothering John. What's bothering John is that there's another text that identifies Jesus. Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 has a phrase in it that John can't figure out. You see, here's Isaiah 61. And he comes to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, if Jesus has come to set the captives free, John wants to know, why am I in prison? By the way, have you ever asked questions like that? When something's happened that doesn't make sense? God, you promised to bless me. Why, why did I lose a child? God, you promised to be with me. 
Why did my brother die in an airplane crash? He was a youth minister. God, you promised to be with us. Why does a preacher and an elder die in a car wreck? Anybody remember that around here? I mean, why do things happen sometimes that don't make sense? If God is God and he's in control. And John the Baptist is asking the exact same question. God, I don't understand. I mean, I've been doing what you've called me to do, but I don't like the direction this is going. And Jesus ends up by saying this as the disciples are walking away. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That word offended comes from the Greek word we get the word scandal from. But it literally means to trip you up, to cause you to stumble. And, And here is Jesus saying about his friend John, blessed are those who don't get stumbled, who don't get tripped up because they can't figure out what I'm doing. And, and I can just see Jesus as, he's, as he is struggling emotionally. I mean, John is doubting him now. And Jesus is saying, hang on. Just hang on. It didn't go well. I don't know what John felt when, when the disciples came back. But I know that in a matter of weeks, Salome, the daughter of Herodias, the wife that Antipas had stolen. Salome danced for Herod. Herod really liked it. It was a big gathering of his officials. And boy, it was just so incredible. He said to her, you can have anything up to half my kingdom. You name it, it's yours. And she goes to Herodias, her mother, and says, Mom, what should I ask? I mean, what should I ask, you know, my stepfather to give me? And the response is, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. I can't imagine what it was like for John when that door unlocked. And John knew, I'm not being set free. At least not in the way I thought. And all at once he goes in and he sees the sword and he knows what's fixing to happen. I can't imagine what his disciples thought. He's God's prophet. What's going on here? I mean, God, why are you not coming to the rescue? This is your man. What is going on here? Have you ever asked that question? I have many, many times. Most of the time going to a hospital or to a funeral home. Of where I've got that call that none of us want to get. And I'm going, no, God, please, please, not this. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, God, I'm not understanding your plan here. And John didn't understand his plan. And Jesus knew he did. Jesus goes on to talk about it. God's plans often preempt our desires and, and requests. I mean, have you ever prayed for something and God didn't answer it? And you're going, God, I, I, I don't get this. And God's like, I know you don't. But you're going to have to trust me. You know, it was Job who said, even though he kills me, even though he kills me, I'm still going to trust him. I don't know about you, but boy, I would have a hard time saying that. I mean, I struggle when when I I face hardships that I just cannot figure out, God, what are you doing here? And so as the disciples were going away, Jesus started talking to them. He said, what did you go out to see? 
Did you go out to see a reed sw- shaken by the wind? Is that how unstable John was? Of course not. Did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothes? No. John was dressed like Elijah was. Who did you go out to see? He says, did you go out to see a prophet? And he says, oh, yes. And what a prophet he was. In fact, he goes on, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Malachi 3.1. This was exactly who John was. And Jesus says, that's who you went out to see. He served a purpose, and then God chose, for whatever reason in his plan, to take him home. Now, I've got some guesses about that, and that's a lesson for another day. But God made a decision that 31, 32 years for John was all he, he, he needed him for. And God took him home. And then you have Jesus saying one of the most amazing, astonishing statements in all of Scripture that most of us read and just jump right over. We don't even pause to think about it. I want you to look at what Jesus, the Son of God, said of John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Noah? Nah, doesn't even touch him. <laughs> Abraham's the father of the faithful. Doesn't touch him. I mean, what about Joseph? He saved the Israelites. Doesn't touch him. David, the man after God's own heart, doesn't touch him. No one born of women up to that point in time was greater than John the Baptist, of course, with the exception of Jesus himself. If you haven't thought about that, please think about what he's going to say next. Because what he says next is absolutely mind-blowing if you are listening. Here's what he says. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What? Yeah. You're a Christian? You're in the kingdom of heaven. And the least of all those in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And you go, <laughs> I'm not greater than John the Baptist. Who's greater than everybody who was born before? That's, that's ridiculous. Really? You want to say something Jesus says ridiculous? Think about that. Jesus is saying there's something about being in the kingdom. There's something about knowing the fullness of God's plan. There's something about knowing what Jesus did at Calvary. There's something about being indwelt by the Spirit of God makes us greater in every sense of the word than those who have gone before us prior to John the Baptist simply because God is fulfilling His purposes through us and in us into the world. And I know that's hard for us to believe. But here's Jesus saying, don't minimize the power of God available to you to change the world in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think the problem we have sometimes is that we look at our lives and we feel so inferior to all of those who have gone before us. And Jesus is saying that's not the case at all. Take what God is giving to you and use it to his glory and watch what he does to it. Jesus goes on, and he says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, this is one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament to translate. 
I mean, translators get to this text and they don't know what to do with it. You open up your, your, your various translations. Some translate this negative, like the ESV do, does. Some translates it positive. Let me give you an example. That word violent there or violence can also be translated passionate. And sometimes it's negative, which means violence. In other words, that was a crime of passion. We use that word sometimes. That's violence. But then again, what do you like about him? Well, he's a very passionate person. And so you've got passionate, both positive and negative. Watch two translations. Here's the, I love this, here's the passion translation. Anybody want to guess which side it came down on? Look at the way it translates it. From the moment John stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth, and passionate people have taken hold of its power. Positive. Okay? I love that. Passionate translation translates it as passionate people. And then you have the voice, a very contemporary translation as well. When John the Baptist came, the kingdom of heaven began to break in upon us, and those in power, passionate people, are trying to clamp down on it. It takes it negative. And then notice how it says, why do you think John's in jail? And and so it goes the other direction. Which one is it? I don't know. I I lean toward the first about passionate people, but it may be this one here. I just don't know on this one. And then very quickly, John says, but let me, or Jesus says, but let me tell you something you, you need to get a hold of. For all the prophets and the law prophesied till John, and if you're willing to accept it, he's Elijah who is to come. And then he says, are you listening? Do you have ears that hear? By the way, the apostles are over there twiddling the thumbs and don't have a clue what's going on. I mean, y'all ever get distracted? Yeah, y'all, I get distracted. And let me tell you, the worst time I get distracted is during communion. I'm so embarrassed when I get distracted during communion. And oftentimes, it's a prayer. I mean, Doc, I loved what you did that day on communion. I loved taking a song and, and reading it as a poem, and it was gorgeous. And when you prayed for the, for the fruit of the vine, I'm like, yes. And then my mind shot off somewhere, and I'm sitting there with my cup, open, ready to drink, and Doc says, now let's pray for the contribution. I'm like, whoa, when did that happen? It takes that long to get distracted. Apostles got distracted. He's Elijah. We're going to see here in a few chapters. They're going, what about Elijah? Isn't he coming? Their ears were not listening. Jesus ends on an incredibly sad note, but at the very end, turns it around to hope. He he goes on to say, let me tell you about this generation. This generation is so sad. They're like kids in the marketplace. And, and some of their playmates cry out, we played the flute for you, but you didn't want to dance. And so we sang a funeral song, a dirge, but you didn't want to mourn. I mean, y- y'all remember when you were kids? By the way, let me give you a better illustration. Here in a few minutes from now, y'all, some of y'all are going to go out to eat, right? And the first question you're going to ask is, where do you want to eat today? To which some of you are going to answer, I don't care. To which your spouse will then say, well, let's go so-and-so. Oh, no, I don't want to go there. You just said you didn't care. Well, I don't care as long as it's not that one. Right? I mean, that doesn't that happen almost every Sunday? June and I do that. We get in the car, where are you going to go eat at? Well, 
we got a coupon over here, we got a gift card over here. And I'm like, no, it'll be too crowded. We'll have to wait too long. You know, I mean, come on. We're just like they were in the first century. Jesus says, let me tell you something. John came, he didn't eat. He didn't eat fancy food at the fancy restaurants, at the fancy tables. He didn't drink any wine. He wasn't allowed to from his birth. No wine. And yet they said he had a demon. Jesus said, I came. I was eating with, with, I was eating with gluttons and drunkards. And, or excuse me, I was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And, and they called me a glutton and a drunkard. He said, there's no satisfying you. Wisdom is justified by our deeds. And, and I love the way the voice says this. Well, wisdom will be vindicated by her actions. I mean, God's going to prove who's right. Is it me and John or is it you who are criticizing us because you don't have a clue who we are? Which leads us to the next lesson, number three. You'll always have those who misrepresent your motives and actions. Y'all, as Christians... We're always going to have people on the right. We're going to have people on the left. For those on the right, we're not right enough. For those on the left, we're not left enough. Y'all know that. Y'all know that. It happens among all of us. And the reason is simply because of the world we live in. Abraham Lincoln said this. You can please some of the people all the time. Uh, You can please all the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. Now, he wasn't original with that, but, but supposedly he said that, and he's right. You know, when people say, you know, less, I mean, how, how do you find a preacher that pleases everyone? You don't. It doesn't exist. You know. I mean, when, when, when I announced I was leaving the church I'd been at for 28 years to come up here, it was obvious within seconds who was happy. I'm serious. And by the way, it's also, it was obvious who was angry. Yeah, a lot of y'all don't realize this. When, when I left Northside to come up here, we had plans. Uh, elders and I got together and we said, okay, let's announce it at the same time so that we don't get one church out ahead of the other. And so at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, y'all announce it at Hendersonville. I'll announce it at Northside. Only problem is Hendersonville jumped the gun. About 10 minutes. Hendersonville jumped the gun. I'm up there announcing as my members are getting texts from some of y'all. Your preacher is leaving to come up here. And I got people, as I'm announcing out there, going, oh, no, and others going, "Woohoo!" you know. You'll never satisfy everybody. You can't do it. Jesus couldn't do it. John can't, uh, couldn't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. We, we try to live as faithful to God as we can. And then Jesus began to do something that just shocks us. He begins to denounce the villages he had preached in. He what? Yeah. He began to denounce, look at this, Woe to you, Karaz, and woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in you and Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a long time ago. It would be better for them on the day of judgment for you. And then he turns to Capernaum, his home, where he had moved from Nazareth to. And he says, what about you? Will you be exalted to the heavens because I made my home there? No, you're going to go down to Hades. Why? Because you didn't repent when the mighty works I did in you should have been obvious. And it's going to be better for Sodom. The absolute worst of the worst in the Old Testament, it's going to be better for Sodom than it is for Capernaum on the day of judgment. And you look at that and you go, wow. 
Even though Jesus had performed every miracle imaginable. We read about them in the Bible. And he had preached and he had taught. And he was gracious and kind and forgiving. And the majority of people said no. And by the way, wasn't but two and a half to three miles between all three of these little villages. This is Sea of Galilee. And you see all three of them up in the north part. They're not, they're not, most of y'all drove further to come to church this morning than these little villages were from one to the other. And yet they all turned Jesus down as far as the majority was concerned. So do not be surprised by the wickedness and hardness of people's hearts. By the way, we're starting to see that. We're starting to see people who are incredibly susceptible to all kinds of sin that just blows your mind. I mean, we, we, we live in a country where almost anything will get you shot nowadays, driving down the interstate, pulling over in, sun, in front of someone that perhaps you didn't even see. I mean, having your basketball roll down the yard into somebody, roll down the street into somebody else's yard, and next thing you know, you and, and your daughter's getting shot. I mean, y'all, we live in a world that absolutely has lost its mind. And Jesus was saying the exact same thing about these three villages 2,000 years ago. We shouldn't let it surprise us. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only just uh, on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. You go back to, to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and after he did that, and the Sanhedrin knew he had done it, look at what the Sanhedrin did. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. What do you do when someone raises somebody from the dead? You kill both the one raised from the dead and the one who did it. Does that make sense to you? And yet that's what and how hard-hearted the Jew, Jewish leadership was in, in the New Testament times. And so finally, Jesus ends this chapter by saying, God, I'm, I'm so thankful. The wise, the understanding, they don't get it. But little children, and he doesn't mean little children as much as he means people with the heart of little children. They do. It's been revealed to them. And so when you get to the end of the chapter, a chapter that's incredibly sad, very discouraging, because it raises difficult questions, Jesus says, but can I tell you the answer to it all? Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You ever heavy laden? I am. Quite often. Uh, I serve, I, I deal with seasonal depression. I'm one of these guys that when it gets dark in the, in the wintertime, boy, I get dark inside. Uh, I, I suffer from hypochondria. Uh, I, I don't know why, but if someone gets a disease, it, it doesn't take but a week, to, and I've got it. And, and I, I still remember years ago, I mean, I've had it for a, this problem for a long time, and I'd gotten sick, and I went to see my doctor. This is years ago over here at Hendersonville. And, and I went in, and, and we were sitting there talking, and, and I look at him, and, and I said, Doc, and, and my, my, my grandmother died of cancer, and so that's part of it that's been passed down to me. And I said, Doc, is it possible I've got cancer? And he said, not at the rate you're gaining weight. No. <laughs> and so every time I start feeling sick, guess what I start doing? I start eating and gaining weight, I won't tell you. But I, I deal with that. I struggle with that. 
And I suspect some of you have got similar issues you struggle with. And Jesus says, if you're heavy laden, it's time to come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. And then I love this more than anything. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest. You'll find rest. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so as you go this week, be preparing to read Matthew 12. Uh, Week after next, uh, we'll be celebrating our seniors, and so we'll get off for one week. But next week, be reading, uh, or this week, uh, chapter 12. Please pray. Pray for those who don't know Jesus. Whether you know them or not, Begin to work toward people who don't know Jesus. Meet people who don't know Jesus. Begin to figure out how you can share the story. Examine your own heart. Again, John the Baptist is struggling. And and boy, if he struggled and he was the greatest of men born of women, don't be surprised when we struggle. And examine your own heart and ask how open it is to the transforming power of Jesus. I'm constantly trying to do that. And I'm not there yet. And so examine yourself. And then, number four. Share the invitation. Come unto me. Tell people the answer is Jesus. Our shepherds are going to be going to the sides of the walls, out in the back foyer. We've got shepherds who are up here as well. You'll see they'll have name tags that says elders, same thing as shepherds. If you have any need whatsoever, prayer requests, something's going on in your life you need help with, if you'd like to obey the gospel, please share it with them and they'll get it set up. You can do that right now as our elders go to the walls and as we stand to sing.